0: So you closed for a period of time while renovations were done?
1: Yes, we did. We had to close. Actually, the whole park closed for a little bit because of COVID. Oh, right. However, being that it's a working farm, we still had to come here and, and you know, tend to animals and beehives and spring planting and all of that. So we continued to safely, very safely, very carefully work on some of those things and we were able to reopen it in 2022 and it complete renovation of the inside of it the the exhibits were built from the ground up so if you have not been in recent years you will see something completely different than what you've seen in the past
0: that's beautiful inside i watched a youtube video it's really nice thank you we're really we're really proud of it hi everybody thank you for listening That was Ms. Laura Weber, the Executive Director of the Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park, located in Dothan, Alabama. She was describing the modern renovations done to the museum and its reopening in 2022. Learn about that and find out how Laura and her team are working on doubling the museum's size in 2023 and how you can help with your donations, memberships, and support. Learn more about this and many other things in this episode of Preservation Oaks. And what a wonderful time this is for the Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. as I mentioned before, this is Preservation Oaks coming to you from Salt Lake City. Preservation Oaks is the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio, where we feature interviews with professionals from museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies across the United States. Thanks for listening. Our main platform is preservationoaks.podbean.com. But we're also on almost every podcast platform, as well as TikTok, Odyssey, and YouTube. So, wherever you listen to the program, I appreciate it very much when you like, comment, and especially follow or subscribe. We trust that people want to have a better understanding of these organizations. We make listeners aware of how the organization is supported, how each is unique to the communities they serve, what programs and events they currently have underway, and what services they offer to the public and to their members. We believe this information is vital for people to know how to join, support, volunteer with, and donate to one or more of these societies. Remember that your donations are tax-deductible, and many larger companies will even match your donation. That's a great thing. Each guest organization on Preservation Oaks brings with them a truly unique perspective around how they tell the story of their communities, how they continue to be relevant for the times in which we live, and what kinds of exhibits and volunteer opportunities they've created. This makes listening to each episode of the program interesting, fun, and diverse. If you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the program, or if you have questions or comments about the program, spin off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. All right, that being said, let's get this show snapping. Our historical March events and birthdays for this episode. From our Yes, That Really Happened file comes two items. The first, March 4th, 1830, former President John Quincy Adams returned to Congress as a representative from Massachusetts. He was the first ex-president ever to return to the House and served eight consecutive terms. And happy birthday to Grover Cleveland, who lived from 1837 to 1908. He was the 22nd and 24th U.S. President. He was born in Caldwell, New Jersey, and was the only president to serve two non-consecutive terms and was also the only president to be married in the White House. From our American Ladies file, happy birthday to the first female dentist, Lucy Hobbs, who was born in 1833 and lived till 1910. She was born in New York State. She received her degree in 1866 from the Ohio College of Dental Surgery and was a woman's rights advocate. From our general information file, March 10, 1880, the Salvation Army was founded in the United States. The social service organization operates today in 90 countries. On March 12, 1888, the great blizzard of 88 struck the northeastern United States. The storm lasted 36 hours with snowfall totaling over 40 inches in New York City, where over 400 people died from the surprise storm. And finally, on March 24, 1934, the Philippine Islands in the South Pacific were granted independence by President Franklin D. Roosevelt after nearly 50 years of American control. Many thanks to the HistoryPlace.com for our March Historical Events. Let's drink some tea, some Twining's tea. That's good tea. Now you can email us anytime at preservationoaks at gmail.com with questions or comments. We love hearing from you. On our next episode of Preservation Oaks, we'll be meeting with the Bennington Museum, which holds in its collection a Grandma Moses schoolhouse and art collection. It's located in Bennington, Vermont. We'll be chatting with Executive Director Martin Mahoney. The Bennington Museum presents and explores the rich culture of southern Vermont, eastern New York State, northwestern Massachusetts, and southern New Hampshire in all its forms from the 18th century to the present. They hold the largest public collection of paintings by the great American folk artist Anna Mary Robertson, known as Grandma Moses, who lived in nearby Eagle Bridge, New York, as well as the defining collection of 19th century Bennington stoneware and other historic and fantastic artifacts. This episode is going to be fun and interesting. The Bennington Museum tells an important story of America, and I can't wait. For this episode, I'm very excited to meet Ms. Laura Weber, Executive Director of the Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park, which is located in Dothan, Alabama. This museum features artifacts interpreting life on the farm in the 1890s. There's also a gift shop. This is Alabama's officially designated agricultural museum for the state. If you're a resident in the local area, this episode will help you understand what the museum has to offer, how you can participate and take advantage of the worthwhile events the museum sponsors, and how to best support them by volunteering and donating. Here's a brief biography of our guest. Dothan native Laura Weber is a 2003 Cum Laude graduate of the University of South Alabama. She started her career in the Community Relations Department of the Mobile Arts Council and as a freelance reporter for Mobile Bay Monthly magazine. She was later promoted to managing editor of Mobile Bay Monthly and Mobile Bay Bride, two magazines published by PMT Publishing. Laura has also served as marketing director of Healthy You, a nonprofit dedicated to facilitating reentry for formerly incarcerated women. Laura became public relations director of Landmark Park in 2008. She was named executive director of Dothan Landmarks Foundation in 2019. She's also an occasional freelance contributor to Business Alabama magazine. Laura is newly married to firefighter Jack Weber, and they share their home in Dothan with his daughter, Keeley Weber, a bearded dragon, two cats, and five hens. Laura enjoys reading, fiber arts, and playing traditional Celtic music with her band, Shamrock and Thistle. Man, is this lady a Renaissance woman or what? And now, let's meet Laura Weber. Welcome to the program, Laura. Thank you for having me. Hey, you know, the city of Dothan, I've noticed, is really beautiful with all the wall murals around town. That's great. Is that something that the city promotes?
1: It is. We have the the murals downtown that people can view that showcase kind of some of the historical moments from our, our town's history. And it really is fun to go through and look at all of them.
0: You're known as the peanut capital of the world. That's a big statement.
1: We are. We are very proud of our peanuts here in Dothan. In fact, we also have decorated peanuts around town that people like, another thing that people like to go and look at while they're looking out the murals. Different artists around town have decorated them, usually in some way that has to do with the business that they're nearby. And so a fun thing to do, I have several, a friend especially that does this. She goes around town and, and photographs all the peanuts yeah. and visitors love to come and And look at all the peanuts and try to see all of them.
0: Oh, very cool. Is there a peanut map somewhere where people can get at the tourist agency or something?
1: Yes. At our Visit Dothan, they do have maps of both the murals and the peanuts. So uh, if you find yourself in Dothan, check them out and you can get information on where to see all of that stuff. Thank you. So we are very proud of our peanuts. They're very important to our town and to our history.
0: I want to tell people that these are not just kids with spray cans doing these murals. These are really beautiful murals all around town.
1: They are. They are. We're very proud of of the art that you can see here in Dothan.
0: The Alabama Agricultural Museum is your organization. It's at Landmark Park. Yes. Is it the official state of Alabama Museum of Agriculture?
1: It is. It's a, it's Kind of an interesting partnership. It's kind of unusual in that Landmark Park is a private nonprofit. So we do receive support from our city and state and county, but we're a private nonprofit. However, the Alabama Agricultural Museum is located here at Landmark Park. So that agency is a state agency that's funded by the state of Alabama that just happens to be located here at a private nonprofit. And the partnership is really wonderful. You know, in the museum, you can see artifacts. And then here at the park, you can see the Living History Farmstead. So it, they work hand in hand really well together.
0: Oh, Fantastic. I think that the Alabama Museum of Agriculture became the official state of Alabama Museum of Agriculture somewhere in the 90s, right?
1: Correct. I, I believe it was in the early 90s. And the park had been here since the late 70s and a very beloved institution here in Dothan, and so we were very excited to, you know, become home to the Alabama Agricultural Museum.
0: Why was the museum located in Dothan?
1: Well, Dothan Ag is so important to our area, and as the peanut capital of the world, it was a really nice place for the museum to be located, and it helped that Landmark Park had a living history farm that could work hand-in-hand with the museum. So, it was just sort of a natural partnership that came together back in the nineties and has been a really great partnership ever since.
0: Okay, thank you. What's the history of the museum?
1: So the museum, like I said, it it started in the early nineties. If you go back further than that, Landmark Park started in nineteen seventy-six and that's when a group of people first came together to discuss preserving some of the historical sites in and around Dothan. And so in the late seventies, the park first got its start and the Alabama Agricultural Museum was first located at landmark Park in ninety two and then over the years it's been it's had various exhibits and incarnations and we reopened it in twenty twenty two with a brand new exhibit We had a visit for the from the governor for that opening then we've received additional state appropriation to expand the museum so we're really excited how the museum is continuing to move forward.
0: So you closed for a period of time while renovations were done?
1: Yes, we did. We had to close. Actually, the whole park closed for a little bit because of COVID. However, being that it's a working farm, we still had to come here and, and, you know, tend to animals and beehives and spring planting and all that. So we continued to safely, very safely, very carefully work on some of those things and we were able to reopen it in 2022 and it complete renovation of the inside of it the the exhibits were built from the ground up so if you have not been in recent years you will see something completely different than what you've seen in the past
0: yeah it's beautiful inside i watched a youtube video it's really nice
1: thank you we're really we're really proud of it
0: you couldn't have picked a better time to close and renovate
1: it you know uh, it just it worked out. I mean, there, were, of course, was some hardship that came with that, but we were very fortunate that we were able to do the work that we had to do to
2: get it done.
0: Now, you said Landmark Park began in the 1970s. Yes. Can you review with us the buildings located in the park? What's someone going to see if they come there for a visit?
2: Sure. So, Landmark Park is
1: 150 acres, and we have a living history farmstead historic town square, and then things like boardwalks and nature trails. And so some of the buildings that you'll see include our Waddell House. And the Waddell House was moved from a place in Dothan that right now, now these days is a very busy intersection, but at the time it was all farmland. And so rather than tear that house down, that group of people that started meeting in 1976 decided to move the house out here to some donated property. And so that's how the park got started. So the the Waddell house was the first one to move. It's a large white farmhouse. A family did live in it for many, many years. And it's just a great showcase of what a home would have looked like back in the 1890 timeframe. Not a huge home, but also not a one-room cabin. It was kind of a mid-range income level, higher to mid-range income level. So you'll see that, but then you also, over the years, additional buildings have been moved out to the park. So we do have a one-room cabin called the Watson Cabin that you can see. We have a historic church, a one-room schoolhouse, uh, the Martin Drugstore, which is a working soda fountain and um, drugstore, and the Shelley General Store. So, those are some of the historic buildings you can see at the park. And then, you know, in addition to that, we do have an interpretive center, planetarium, boardwalk, and nature trails, playground. So, a lot of different things
0: you can see here at the park. Oh my gosh, that's great. You said that's a working soda fountain in the drugstore?
1: It is. It is. So, the soda fountain is in Enterprise, which is a nearby town here in our area. It was a drugstore and soda fountain that was in use, again, for many, many years. And when it closed, the building was not actually moved to the park. We built a building here for it. But inside of it, everything you see inside is from that original soda fountain. So a working soda fountain where you can get drinks and ice cream and milkshakes, all the cabinetry, Different artifacts you can see inside are all moved, were all moved over from the Martin Drugstore and Enterprise.
0: That's like a whole town from the eighteen nineties.
1: It is. It really is. We have the the one room cabin, which is, you know, what would have been typical of a family with less income, then the larger Waddell house and then all the town square
0: buildings. Now do all those buildings sit and take up the hundred and fifty acres or is there some left over?
1: There's quite a bit left over, actually. You know, we have the, the farmstead, which is where the Waddell House and the cabin are located. And also on that, that area of the park is our living history farm. So we have farm animals and crops that would have been typical of this area in the 1890s. Okay. So we have Gulf Coast native sheep, red wattle hogs, Honeywoods cows, All the crops, again, would have been heirloom varieties that would have been popular in the 1890s in the wiregrass. And the farming on the farm is done using methods that would have been typical of the 1890s. So a lot of work done by push plows, plowing with horses and mules, things like that. But then we also have playgrounds. We have a boardwalk and nature trails. We have an interpretive center that has classrooms and a planetarium in it. Of course, the Alabama Agricultural Museum is located on the acreage. We have a community garden. We have some venues that people can rent for weddings and special events. Oh, cool. And that helps fund our work. And we have a working apiary uh, for honeybees. So we have quite a bit going on on the 150 acres that we have.
0: That's very cool. So I can have my wedding there or I can have a family reunion there? Absolutely, you can. In fact, I have my wedding here. (laughs) Oh,
1: wow. Um, Yes, we have an activity barn that is set up to to look like an old rustic barn, but inside is, you know, modern. (laughs) So you can have weddings and special events there. But we also host kids' birthday parties at the playground. We've had baby showers, corporate events, family reunions. It's a great place to have your special occasion. And those rentals help fund our work that we're doing for the community.
0: That's really great. Do the rentals have kitchens?
1: Yes, actually the barn rental does have it has a, a caterer's kitchen. So you can bring your caterer in and there's, you know, the ovens and large refrigerators, freezers, ice makers, things like that. Oh,
0: wow. That's really yeah. cool. I was reading that the Alabama Museum of Agriculture is a Blue Star Museum. What is
3: that?
1: Yes, that's a program we're really proud to be a part of. So Blue Star Museum is a national program where from Memorial Day to Labor Day, active military and up to five family members can get in for free to Landmark Park where they can see the museum and the farm and everything. However, Landmark Park goes one step further and we also include retired military. So Blue Star Museum, if you hear another museum that participates in it, the Blue Star Museum is for active military, but Landmark Park extends that to our retired military as well. And that's just a way to say thank you for the military service to our country and to our community. We have a lot of military that live in the area because Fort Rucker is nearby. And so um, we're really proud to participate in that Blue Star Museum program.
0: Very cool. Now, let me give the contact information for the museum while we're here. The Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park, their website is landmarkparkdothan.com. You can find them on Facebook as the Landmark Park Dothan. You can email them at Laura laurav at landmarkparkdothan.com. You can phone them at 334-794-3452. Their visiting address is 430 Landmark Drive, Dothan, Alabama, 36303. And their mailing address is P.O. Box 6362, Dothan, Alabama, 36302. Does that all sound right? That is correct. Fantastic. Now, Laura, what's the variety of your membership and the mission and objectives of your museum?
2: Well,
1: Dothan Landmarks Foundation's mission is to collect, preserve, and interpret the cultural and natural heritage of Dothan in the Wiregrass region. And we fulfill that mission through a variety of projects. Our primary goals are to create a better understanding of and appreciation for the lives and times of people who settled Dothan in the Wiregrass so that present and future generations will recognize the contributions of our ancestors to our lives today. And another goal is to create a better understanding of and appreciation for our natural environment of the Wiregrass region again, so that future generations can become better stewards of our environment. And we fulfill these goals through Landmark Park. And it's an educational and recreational facility for our citizens and visitors to to learn and to use and to enjoy. And so Laymark Park, and again, with the Alabama Agricultural Museum, is also unique in that we don't just focus on history and agriculture. We also have our natural history in mind in um, what we do here at the park. So that's how we fulfill our mission here. We do have memberships here at Landmark Park, a variety of levels that people can join so they can visit for a flat fee during the year instead of having to pay every time they come.
0: Well, that's great. I bet everybody has a great time. Boy, a planetarium right there. Everything I need to look at for our farming for the 1890s, And uh, it's just, it just is beautiful. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I I like it a lot. (laughs) Do volunteers care for the park or are they paid?
1: We do have a paid staff here, but we definitely rely heavily on volunteers. For 150 acres, when you're dealing with the public and school kids and live animals, we need all the help we can get. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we we love having volunteers. We have some volunteers who come on a regular basis to help, you know, with office work or farm chores or things like that. Then we also have volunteers who only come for specific programming. So if we have a class coming up and we need help either teaching it or assisting to teach it, you know, we do have volunteers that demonstrate that way. So we always tell the community you know we we wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the the community and their support, and one of the great ways that the community can support us is to volunteer
0: right. You've mentioned this a couple of times, the wiregrass region is there only one region of Alabama that has this- this grass called wiregrass
1: well wiregrass and we we actually have an exhibit here at the park that goes into a bit more detail about that. But the wiregrass used to thrive in this area because of the longleaf pine forests that were in this area. And so um, when we say the wiregrass, we're generally talking about tri-state area that includes Florida and Georgia, but down in the southern region of the states.
0: And so wiregrass is some kind of a plant that is very strong like a wire?
1: It, It kind of looks like a wire.
0: Okay. and um it
1: would thrive in the longleaf pine forests that used to be here you know and again that goes into our natural history that we talk about here at the park we do have some wire grass growing here because we get that question a lot people have never really seen wiregrass because yeah. without the longleaf pine forests it's just not as prevalent as it was in the past but we have an exhibit here that explains about wiregrass. you can see what it looks like and it explains why we're called the Wiregrass and sort of what happened to all the Wiregrass. So we do try to explain that that information here through some of our exhibits. But you can, in fact, see it. It is a plant. It's a native plant to this area that you just you just don't see as much as you used to.
0: Okay, I'll go on my search engine and find pictures. of <laughs> okay. it, and see it. you were named executive director in July of 2019. Yes. Can you? Tell our audience a little bit about your background, how you came to do what you do now.
1: Sure. So I am very much a product of this park. Um, (laughs) I grew up here in this area. I grew up coming to Landmark Park for summer camps, for field trips, family occasions. I absolutely loved it here as a child. The first time I ever camped in a tent was at a summer camp here at Landmark Park. And so as I, you know, went to college, I was a public relations major at the University of South Alabama, wanted to move back home. And so I came on as the public relations director here at Landmark Park in two thousand eight and worked at the park doing things like designing the newsletter, writing press releases, going on local news to talk about events that we have coming up and The thing about public relations is you have to sort of be ready to answer any question that may come your way. So I learned a lot about the operation of the park, a lot about the topics that we teach here at the park. And so that really helped to prepare me for my role as director. In the public relations role, I also talked to the public a lot about what they were interested in, what they'd like to see here. And so I think that has helped to serve me as director. But I always grew up with the love of the outdoors, culture, history, so it was just a natural fit when when the job came open. I'm very proud that the board of directors entrusted
2: this role to me.
0: Boy, I mean, with your public relations background, that explains a lot. You're so (laughs) well-spoken. What's coming up on the horizon? Where's the organization headed next?
1: Well, we are planning to continue with refurbishments and restorations of our historic buildings. You know, we have a lot of historic buildings here at the park and we want to make sure that they're well taken care of. So that's going to be a big push this year is going through with everything with a fine tooth comb and trying to take care of what we need to to make sure they're preserved for future generations. We're also looking to expand the Alabama Agricultural Museum. That museum will double in size, hopefully by the end of this year or into early next year. And what we want to do with that extra space is showcase more of the artifacts that we have here at the park. We want to have some classrooms in there so people can take classes on various things. We do a lot of dulcimer classes, woodworking classes. Dying fabrics with natural materials. I mean, with natural, uh, you know, plant dyes. So we want to have classroom space to do some more of those things. We're also expanding our exhibit of Native American artifacts that we have here at the park. And we're always looking for new events and activities that may interest people that may feel a need in the community so we can continue that mission of educating and preserving our, our heritage here.
0: Double in size. That is amazing. That is great news. Wow. Now, do you have a lot of tractors and that kind of thing that you're going to, or that are in the museum or that you're going to put in the museum? We do, actually.
1: We have a tractor club that meets here at the park, an antique tractor club. And over the years, a lot of farm families have donated tractors to the park for display. And so part of that exhibit space is going to be what we've been sort of Loosely calling tractor alley, where we're gonna park the tractors inside the museum so people can walk through and see them
2: mm-hmm.
1: right now, you can see them they're just they're parked outside, and we kind of rotate them so that we never have one out in the elements for too long. You know we do try to take good care of things like that so yes we'll we'll have tractors on display, and that's always one of the favorite things to see here.
0: Very cool. You mentioned a Native American display that is coming in this next year. And I think the Native American tribe in Alabama primarily was the Creek Indians. Is that right?
1: That's correct. That is a, a, a big tribe that was here. And what we've sort of done is the park has a large collection of lithics, arrowheads, stone tools, things like that, and also pottery shards. And so we sent our collection to a company to study it and catalog it to tell us which, you know, as much information as they can about each piece. So we're working to showcase the four main time periods of our Native American history in this area. And we'll separate them out so you can see the difference between different lithics from different time frames. But we'll also have some, you know, scenic displays and uh, graphic panels to explain sort of what you're looking at.
2: Well, so that's okay. something
1: that we, we've been sort of working on as we're able, funding-wise. You know, it's kind of been a, a process, a several-step process with our, our funding situation. But we're we're working on that and hope to have that finished by the end of the year.
0: Oh, fantastic. Now, because you have those pottery shards and all that, tells me maybe you've done some archaeology in the park? We really haven't
1: done a lot here in the park we have definitely had people come in and and do workshops we've had days where people can bring their arrowhead collections and let experts look at them and try to give them as much history as they can just from a brief you know study like that but as for you know looking in this area in particular no we, we haven't really done a lot here but it's definitely an area that the public is very interested in. So we're we're excited to be able to bring that to the public.
0: Are you connected with the tribes at all?
1: We have, we've worked with the Porch Creek. They are a supporter of the project. Our education director is a member of the Muscogee Creek, oh, which are yeah. in the Florida area. So she has some connections with that tribe. And we've just had a lot of support to bring more Native American history to the park so people can learn about it. And we just want to make sure we do that in the right way. We want to make sure that, you know, the Native American voices are being heard and telling their story. So we're excited to bring that to the public. We think that's something that people are very interested in. And we, we love anything that celebrates our history. You know, we love bringing
2: that to the public.
0: Yeah, you're doing that in such a professional way and I really admire that. Thank you. Can you tell us a couple of funny or interesting stories from your museum's history?
2: <laughs> well anybody that's worked
1: in a museum probably knows there are many, many funny stories that we could tell. <laughs> Some you probably don't want to hear about, but <laughs> <laughs> anytime you work with the public and with live animals, I always say you never know what's gonna happen. But One thing that I I really enjoyed, I took up beekeeping because of my work here at the park. During the COVID situation, actually, when we were, we weren't shut down, but we were doing, you know, very limited programming because we didn't want people in close quarters. I decided I was going to sort of shadow our beekeepers while they worked with our apiary. And one of the most interesting things that I've ever done is learning about beekeeping. And so, I had been working with a master beekeeper for a while, kind of one-on-one just because that was just how it was at the time. And it came to swarm season and it was time to catch my first swarm. And I don't know if you know a lot about beekeeping, but basically a ball of bees will fly to a tree limb and the bees surround the queen, you know, they're trying to protect her. So my master beekeeper said, you know, take this Cardboard box and shake that limb until the bees just fall into the box. Oh. I was terrified, but it was fine. So that's like a really interesting memory for me. is catching my first bee swarm. I love animals of all kinds. So I've seen river otters out here. I've seen beavers out here. Deer. We've seen turkeys. So anytime we see an animal that's slightly unusual, that's like a that's a great great memory for me.
2: Yeah,
1: I love working with the kids and and hearing some of their questions and their comments on, you know, how people lived without electricity. That's always a fun thing to listen to is, you know, trying to wrap their heads around not having access to televisions and phones. (laughs) We've heard some really funny stories, uh, comments from kids in that way. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many little stories that that just make up our experiences here and they mean a lot to us.
0: Yeah, very rich history. For Back sure. in the days when, you know, you couldn't rely on a tractor with an auger to, to dig you a trench or dig you a well. It was you Absolutely. and a shovel, that was it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and that's one of the things that I've, I love seeing, especially kids, but adults too, their eyes open to the fact that this was not an instant gratification time period. Yeah. This was something that, you know, our 1890s, our ancestors, they didn't waste anything. They had to plan out everything. You know, you couldn't just wake up one day and decide you want a new shirt. You know, you had to have somebody make it for you, make it yourself. Sometimes grow the own cot- your own cotton to make it. So that's been fun to, myself included, to really open our eyes to the fact that Our ancestors worked extremely hard to get us to where we are today.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Plus, uh, you know, women with children, people with families, that all took so much time. Yes. Oh, man. Yes. Now, you mentioned that you have a Native American exhibit starting this year Mm -hmm. sometime. You have tractors. You're going to expand the museum. You have the Waddell Home and the One Room Cabin, the Mm Watson Cabin. The church, mm-hmm. the schoolhouse, the drugstore, the general store, and probably many more items. The planetarium and so on. Is the home furnished? the The Waddell home. I'm I'm curious about what kind of exhibits are on display.
1: Yes. Well, inside all of the historic buildings, they're they're all furnished to showcase what life would have been like in those in those areas in the 1890s. So. For example, the the one-room schoolhouse has desks and blackboards and American flag. You know, it's, it's set up to look like what it would be in the 1890s or actually when that school was in use. The Waddell house is furnished with antique furniture, quilts, things like that. The drugstore also, every, everything is furnished to show the types of furniture and things and furnishings that would have been typical of that time period. In the Ag Museum, in the Alabama Agricultural Museum, the, the way that exhibit is, is laid out is you start in a basically like a cabin and you, you move from the cabin into the field, into the barn, into a processing plant, and then into a gift shop. Or not a gift shop, but a general store. So you sort of see the product from start to finish or the farmer, you know, waking up in the morning and following the, the product to the general store. And then on the natural history side, we do have a an exhibit on the longleaf pine ecosystem, and that's where you can learn about wiregrass, the longleaf pine forests that were so prevalent here in the past. So we, we try to you know show our natural history all the way up to really modern farming techniques that we do in some areas
0: of the park. Oh, very cool, Laura. It's time for our first break for a few minutes. Okay. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages.
4: Introducing a totally unique experience, the Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park at 430 Landmark Drive, Dothan, Alabama, 36303. This is a great place for you and your family, where state-of-the-art immersive environments, interactive exhibits, and dramatic films take you on an amazing journey of the agricultural history of Alabama. Discover a world where the changing of the seasons and the patterns of farm life are as fascinating as national battles fought by passionate people. The Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park, their legacy is yours. Visit their website at landmarkparkdothan.com or call 334-794-3452 for more details, admissions, and hours. Donate, volunteer, and become a member today. Your family will thank you for that
3: it's time for preservation oaks book shorts book shorts is a segment of the program where we quickly introduce listeners to authors and books which satisfy your love of history and genealogy help you with your own research and finally help you improve the depth and wisdom of your unique family story
0: welcome to book shorts I've often commented on this podcast that I sincerely wonder who's telling the stories of the history of today's events and today's people. In the past, people used to publish books like The History of the County, which often included biographies of the people in a given county. These were wonderful books, and family historians used these books extensively as reference material for their ancestors' lives and times. The conundrum is that, at least to my knowledge, no one is writing these books any longer. And so my fear is that it may actually become much more difficult for future family researchers to find information about their ancestors, their communities, and their lives during these times. I ran across a book that I think you'll like and that addresses this issue. On this installment of Book Shorts, we're very privileged to be joined by author Michelle Fishburn to chat about her new book, Who We Are Now? Stories of what Americans lost and found during the COVID-19 pandemic. I believe this book will help every reader understand how others were feeling about the pandemic and how they dealt with the dramatic shift in our lives during this time in history. The book, which is published by UNC Press, will be available in March 2023, but you can pre-order it now. Michelle, welcome to Book Shorts. Thank you, Sean, for having me. I really appreciate it. First of all, I'd like to say how awesome the concept of your new book is. I haven't read it yet because it comes out in March but I wanted listeners to hear about it and pick it up when it's available. I'm really excited
5: about people meeting the hundred people in this book. So I, I appreciate that you're excited because I
0: think people will really connect with each and every one of them. Yeah, hundred people. That's fantastic. How did you think of this idea?
5: Well, it didn't come about in a natural way. Maybe a lot of ideas don't. I had lost my job in the COVID spring from a nonprofit And I was laid off and I tried for months and months and months to find a new job and I had no success. And so on July 30th of 2020, the lease on my post-divorce house was up and my youngest was going off to college. So I found myself without a house, a spouse, a job or a kid to take care of. And that was pretty scary for a 57-year-old woman who never thought that she was going to be in that position. And... So, But what I did have was my motorhome and my dog Buddy and tons of curiosity about what people's lives were like during the pandemic. And every time I heard about a new like, type of profession in the, like, in the pandemic, like what somebody was going through, like a ballet dancer, how does a ballet dancer in a ballet company keep their, their muscle memory and everything when they can't practice with everybody else? So I was super curious. And so I thought to myself, well, what am I going to do when the movers come and take all my stuff and put it in storage and I move into my motorhome? And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to start driving and I'm going to, I'm just going to ask people about their lives during the pandemic. And I don't know if you're familiar with Humans of New York, Brandon Stanton's work,
2: no.
5: but he went and he went and photographed thousands of people. And as he was doing it, he asked them about their lives. And I thought, all right, I'll sort of do a Humans of New York website. I'll share it on social media and I'll use this to get a job and then I'll be done. But as I was doing it, people said to me, you mean this isn't a book? You mean you aren't preserving this for posterity? You mean you are not offering this up to the rest of the world so that they can process what we've all been through? And so then I realized that I was actually being pretty selfish and that really it's something I needed to do for everybody. So that's how it became a book.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. What a great idea. Can you give us an overview of the
5: book? Sure. I interviewed hundreds of people all over the United States, most of them face to face, between September 2020 and September 2021 about their lives during the pandemic. I made sure that they were very, very diverse people uh, from all over the country. And I asked them all the same question, which was this. It's January 1st, 2020. What was your 2020 supposed to be like? And what did it end up being like through to the present? And I recorded them on my phone on the Otter app, which is a transcription app. So I caught their audio and it turned it into text. And most people spoke for about 30 to 45 minutes, almost literally without breathing. I just, people... We're so ready to tell their story. Oh,
0: it was pretty incredible. You have a great cross section of individuals in different fields.
5: Oh yeah, you know, uh, a, a ballet company manager, a mayor, a gun shop owner, a restaurant owner in New York City, a hair salon stylist in a retirement community in Montana, uh, a mobile x business owner in Georgia. Nurses, doctors, parents who lost children, performing actors and musicians yeah it's it's a it's a
0: broad, diverse group oh great, fantastic. Where's the best place for somebody to get a copy of the book?
5: Well, I think the easiest thing to do probably is to go to my website who we are now dot u s And go to the book page, and that tells you various places where you can get it online. And of course, go to your independent bookstores, and hopefully they will have it. And I'm doing some book events. My my first one is a virtual book event, with Greenlight Bookstore in Brooklyn, the night before the book comes out in hard copy on March 14th. So on March 13th, I'll be talking about it. My interviewer will be a gentleman by the name of Chris Belair, who is a monologue writer for Jimmy Fallon's show. And Chris is in the book, and he will be interviewing me virtually about the various people in the book.
0: Oh, that's fantastic!
5: Are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. The handle is Who We Are Now USA. I have
0: to follow you there so that I can retweet when your book comes out. Oh, thank you. Yep, yeah, no problem. Are you working on another book?
5: I am. It, it's been hard to find another subject that is equally as compelling and. So I had thought about climate change uh, and then pivoted to something that was a little bit more, I don't know, upbeat. So I was going to go around and interview people about their unusual lives, living in tree houses and lighthouses and off the grid and people living in school buses, etc. And that was the plan. And I had already started it. But uh, this past weekend, I lost my little traveling companion, Buddy. And so I don't know that I want to go and do the motorhome all over again for 12,000 miles without him. So I am reassessing, but for sure, there's going to be another Who We Are Now book. And what the topic will be, maybe I don't quite yet know, but it'll have the same format, which is a listening, just a listening and sharing out of a collection of diverse people's stories about something that touches each of us.
0: I thank you so much for doing this work. That is just great.
5: Well, I, I really enjoy it, and I, I fell into it just by being curious about everybody else. And, Sean, one of the things I found on the road is almost every person I interviewed, after I interviewed them, they said to me, how is everybody else doing? How are people doing out there? Yeah. Can you tell me a story? Like, we're all curious about each other. We really are. It's one of the great things about being human.
0: Fantastic. Well, I hope your book does well, and I really appreciate it. Listeners, pre-order a copy of this excellent book, which tells an important true-life story about today's history of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you, Michelle, for being a guest on Book Shorts, and I'd like to thank you for your time and for your book.
5: Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me on again.
0: You come back anytime when you write your next one. Look me up. Sounds great. You got a deal. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right, listeners. Michelle also has a website about the book. The URL is www.whowearenow.us. If anyone would like to follow Michelle's life as a full-time nomad, living and working from her RV, Airbnbs, and house-setting gigs, you can follow her on Instagram at Michelle Fishburn. That's F-I-S-H-B-U-R-N-E. And or TikTok at Michelle.Fishburne. Everyone can pre-order this new book. Who We Are Now, stories of what Americans lost and found during the COVID-19 pandemic. Once you've read it, be sure to leave a review, and I'd love to hear from you as well with comments about what you think of the book. I thank you in advance for doing that. Much appreciated. Okay, we'll see you all on the next Book Shorts. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we're here today with Laura Weber from the Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park, located in Dothan, Alabama. Let's pick up where we left off. I still have a couple of questions about the exhibits. Welcome back, Laura.
2: Well, thank you. Good to
0: be back. Laura, the the exhibits, do they rotate at all? We have had
1: traveling exhibits come in in the past, but right now... We're not doing, we don't have anything on rotation. However, we hope that once the museum is through with this expansion, that we'll have a space for rotating and traveling exhibits.
0: Okay, well, that's very cool. I mean, double the size. That is going to be yes. great for the people of that area. Yes, we're Do you we're have excited. any ex- collections exhibited anywhere else?
1: The only other place that we do have some exhibits on display is at the courthouse in the Drury waiting room we have some historic photos that we help to kind of curate that collection and uh, captions that explain what exactly you're looking at. So most everything is housed here on our property, but we do have that photo exhibit at the courthouse.
0: Oh, I wish I would have had that when I was on jury duty. I would have learned something that day.
1: <laughs> well, that was sort of the idea behind it. It was several years back, but, you know, rather than just having blank walls to stare at, there's some really nice historic photos of farm life Oh, and captions that explain what you're looking at, where the photo was taken and, and what activity that particular person was doing. And they're really nice black and white photos. So it it really does kind of make it a nice a nice place to sit and wait.
2: Very cool.
0: If your museum were to catch fire, God forbid, <laughs> what things would you grab on your way out?
1: For me personally, I am obsessed with our quilt collection. Um, I love fiber arts and fabrics, and so um, I would grab as many quilts as I possibly could. We do have a quilt in our collection that's from Civil War times, so I'm I, I gotta say I'm partial to the quilts, but hopefully I will not have to make that decision ever <laughs> but uh but I am but one of some of my favorite artifacts are our quilt collection.
0: When I visited the Amish country in Pennsylvania, they had shops with Amish made quilts they were just beautiful
1: they are beautiful and and they're really a nice showcase of when i talk about number 1 there was no instant gratification but also number 2 these quilts use scraps of fabric scraps of string feed sacks you know they they tried to use everything they could get their hands on they didn't want anything to go to waste
0: mm. and
1: so you know the quilts tell
0: a really important story just by themselves. Oh, yeah. You can probably date those like a timeline of when the quilt was made.
2: Yes. Yes, you
1: absolutely can based on the pattern, based on some of the fabric colors. You can tell a lot if you know what to look for. And we do have experts in these various fields that help us. I certainly don't know (laughs) how to to date the quilts. Uh, I've learned quite a bit my time here, but we work with a lot of experts in these various fields that help us with that.
0: Yeah, you're so lucky. You got to learn beekeeping and all about quilts. and Who knows what else?
1: I've learned so much in my time here. I've learned how to play the dulcimer. I've become a beekeeper. I have beehives at my house now because that's just absolutely fascinating. I've learned various needle arts like knitting and crocheting. I did try to make a quilt block and that was, it gave me a whole new appreciation for the quilts, even more than I already had, because it's not easy. (laughs) It's extremely time consuming, but I've tried to take advantage of, you know, every chance I've had to try something or learn something. I love taking advantage of those, even if it turns out to be something I'm no good at. Um, I tried basket making once. I was terrible at that. (laughs) But I really like that I have had that experience. I feel extremely fortunate that I've had so many chances to learn so many skills.
0: Now, thank you for all the information you've shared. If I understand it correctly, your funding model comes from the state of Alabama, number one, the donations from the public, number two, the memberships, number three. Are there any other funding sources that you have?
1: We do. So, the park and the museum are sort of a partnership. The state funding goes to the museum, to that building, to that staff, those operating costs. Everything else would go to the park, for the most part. So, the city and the county give yearly appropriations to the park to help maintain it. But then most of our funding does come from private donations visitation. We host a lot of events throughout the year that bring out, you know, hopefully larger numbers of people. We also do field trips so kids can come out, you know, school teachers and homeschool teachers can bring their classes for a staff-led field trip. We get grants to help us with particular projects. Um, And then I mentioned earlier that we do have rentals where you can rent the barn or the playground area, we have an auditorium, different, different areas of the park that you can rent for your own special event. So right. I had my wedding here at the park. <laughs> we host a lot of weddings here. So all of those different things come together to help maintain the park and museum.
0: Oh yeah, that's great. Now, how many people does your auditorium hold?
1: The auditorium will hold about between 50 and 75. And then the barn that we have will hold 350. So it's a large building, just wide open building. So you can sort of set it up for whatever it is you're wanting to do. It just lends itself to a really nice venue for a wedding or a
2: corporate event.
0: Well, I always ask what your funding goals are for the year. It, it it appears that one of your funding goals would be the the doubling in size of the museum. Are there any other funding goals you have in mind this year? Yes,
1: we did have to close. And it was a couple of years ago, but we did have to close because of COVID. But we also dealt with the aftermath of that because schools were not taking field trips. There were limitations of how many guests could be in a venue at one time. So our rentals were, were hurt by that. We weren't able to have special events because we didn't want to have huge groups of people coming together during that pandemic time. What we're trying to do now is sort of rebuild our finances. We're fine. We're not in any kind of danger or anything like that. But we feel like we did sort of lose some momentum because of that. And it takes a lot to maintain this park with a working farm, historic buildings. You know, it, it just takes a lot to maintain all of it and to do it properly. Right. We don't want to take shortcuts or anything like that. So our goals right now are to... Money that comes in, we want to put towards restoring and preserving our historic buildings and just maintenance, general maintenance of the park, making sure that it looks nice, making sure that it's safe, and and just make sure we always are where we need to be in terms of, uh, especially safety, but maintenance, aesthetics. (laughs) And then, you know, we also, we're always looking to add new events. So hopefully events will turn into money moneymakers for us. But usually to start those, you, you have to invest. So right now, we're just looking to rebuild some of the lost revenue that we missed because of the pandemic.
0: Right. you have any trusts?
1: We do. We have different trusts for, for various families that have been set up. We also have a tribute fund where people can make a donation in memory or in honor of someone. Right. People donate in memory of maybe a loved one who's passed away or in honor of someone's birthday, you know, somebody who you don't know what to buy for. Sometimes that's a nice thing to do. We do a year end appeal where we ask, you know, for donations at the end of the year, we sell sponsorships for our special events to help us offset the cost to do those events. And so that helps that way. Anything we bring in on the day of the event is profit. We're not, we're not having to pay out to cover our expenses. And then just, you know, general donations. We, we absolutely love donations, of course. <laughs> and uh, we do have a membership program here at Landmark Park where you can join. There's different levels, but the most popular is our family level. And it's $60 for the year. And it covers two adults and then all your children and grandchildren under 18. So two adults, all children and grandchildren under 18, get into the park for free every day, free planetarium admission, early registration for events that fill quickly. We always let our members register first. Discounts on summer camps. So the membership program is just a great way to support the park, but also get a lot for your money. You get a lot of benefits with your membership. In addition to those family memberships, we have corporate memberships where businesses can purchase a corporate membership. And then they get either family memberships or single-use day passes that they can give
2: to their staff or to their clients.
0: Nice, way nice. The free daily admission to the park for for that year of your membership is just a great benefit. It really is. And, and we have a lot of members who take
1: wonderful advantage of their membership benefits. They come and, you know, bring kids to play on the playground. During the summer, they may come out every single day and just let the kids come play for a little while, just, you know, while they're looking for something to do. So memberships are a really wonderful way to support us, but also get something for your, for your money, get a lot of benefits.
0: What kind of events? You've mentioned the events a couple of times. What kind of events or fundraising activities does the museum offer?
1: Well, we do several special events throughout the year. We do a spring farm day and a fall farm day. And those two events are where we bring demonstrators out to the park. And we have demonstrators that are on the farm doing things like churning butter, cooking on the wood stove. Plowing with horses and mules, doing the peanut harvest, um, sugar cane grinding to make syrup. So we really bring the farm to life on those two days in the spring and in the fall, and they're different activities because of the different seasons. Obviously, they'll be doing different things right. um, at both of those. But then we also have um, we do summer camps, we do workshops throughout the year on various. Music, woodworking, sewing, we do like I said dulcimer class we have a reptile feeding because we do have reptiles in our in the science section of our of the oh, park wow. um, where we talk about the natural history we do have live reptiles that you can see we do a, a Victorian Christmas event and we've a, a new of two new events that we've done uh, a bluegrass festival that's become extremely popular we've done it twice and and people love the Bluegrass Festival,
2: Oh
1: yeah. Um, and then also Native American Festival. So those are some of the ones that we have regularly every year, but we're always looking to add new things, a new workshop, a new festival. You know, I really like having things to offer to the public. I think they enjoy it, and we
2: like doing that because it helps to fulfill our mission.
0: Yeah, those are some nice events. Wow. Thank really you. nice. So in terms of school children, you've mentioned a lot of different things. As a school child, can I come to the park and, for instance, learn how to churn butter?
1: Absolutely. We have many options when it comes to field trips for kids, and we work with both classroom and homeschool classes so that we we try to you know, have something to offer any different situation that there might be. One of the more popular programs we do is called Living History. And that's where the kids are split into very small groups. So, maybe four kids to an instructor. And they get to actually do hands on tasks like plowing with a horse or cooking lunch on the wood stove, churning butter. We do chair caning. And so the kids get just totally immersed in these hands on activities. And then they all come together and eat lunch that they help prepare kind of old fashioned, you know, ham and greens and things like that.
2: Yeah.
1: So living history is a very popular one, but we have others as well. We have seasonal sessions that are only offered at certain times of the year. And then we have field classes that a teacher can, you know, just just book with us at their convenience. All of our field trips meet the state standards for education, various state standards, depending on the program for history and science. So when a teacher comes to a field trip here, yes, it is loads of fun. (laughs) And I totally believe it's lots of fun, but it also is very educational and it's up to certain educational standards. It's not just a day out of the classroom. It's a day to enhance what they're learning in the classroom.
0: That is very cool. Your partnership with the the teachers, with the educators, that's just fantastic.
1: Well, we love having the kids come. And, I mean, I talk a lot about the kids. It's it's great for adults, too. I mean, I learn something new almost every time I help with these programs. So, you know, even if you're a member of the general public and, and wouldn't necessarily come on a field trip, you learn a lot at the special events and just on a day-to-day basis here at the park.
0: Oh, yeah. Does your museum publish any kind of a newsletter?
1: We do. We uh, publish a quarterly printed newsletter and that is a benefit to our members. So you get one of those in the mail. And then we also do send out about once a month, we'll send an email out to our email list. So even if you're not a member, you can be on the email list. And it just tells you information about events that are coming up. Usually we encourage you to join because you would get a newsletter and you also would get advanced registration on things that fill quickly, like summer camps. So We try to encourage membership even on the email list.
0: Oh, yeah. I was reading that in addition to being a Blue Star Museum for veterans, you also have a veterans gardening project.
2: Yes. Yes. That
1: is a relatively new program. And we have a community garden here at Landmark Park, which is about about 36 raised garden beds. And uh we have partnered with wiregrass r c and d and Alabama Cooperative Extension system, and we teach classes every other week on a on a variety of gardening topics um We've covered things like spring planting, composting, growing herbs, you know just different gardening topics and we encourage veterans and their families to come to those and then they also can get in for free for the season to come and work their raised beds. So they get, yeah. you know, different raised beds that they can maintain. And it's a good way for networking, for fellowship, for family time. Like I say, we have a lot of veterans and military in our area because we're so close to Fort Rucker. And so this has become a very popular project. And it's not just for veterans, but, you know, that It started as a project for veterans to come as, like I say, for networking and and fellowship. And then the food that's grown in the Veterans Garden, they do take some of it, of course, but whatever's left over, we take to our local food bank. So it kind of serves two purposes, for the veterans, but also for the needy in our area.
0: Wow, you're really doing some great work there. Thank you. Now, you've got all of these various properties, I guess I'd call them, or buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus the museum. What kinds of records or historical artifacts has the museum received as donations from the public?
1: Quite a few <laughs> um, artifacts and records we have in our. Um, we have a small library here in our interpretive center, where we have family histories. So families who were instrumental in maybe establishing our our town. We have uh, some histories that have been typed up that we keep here in the library. We've also received a lot of different farming implements, so things like plows, you know, different farming uh, wagons and things like that we have in our collection. And we maintain a, an archive of historic photos. So, you know, we, again, just trying to catalog those things and preserve them. So, but we, yeah, we have quite a, a lot of artifacts in our collection.
0: Do you have docents in the park?
1: We do on our special event days. We'll, we'll have extra help who can help answer questions. But just on the regular days, you know, our staff is here and we're happy to help any way that we can.
0: Okay. I'm wondering what kind of volunteer opportunities you have available for members of the public?
1: Oh, we have so many different ways you can get involved depending on your interests. You can help at special events if you know how to do a skill or a craft. If you like to dig in the dirt, you can come help us on the farm and in the gardens. If you like working with kids, we always need extra hands for our field trip programs. And just general office work. Sometimes we need to help answering the phones or working on a mail out. So any skill level or interest area, we can probably find something
2: for you to do.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Now, do you give tours? (laughs) Are there tours I can purchase for you know, taking me through all of the buildings in the park. And God bless you. I think I heard you sneeze.
2: Thank you. Sorry. (laughs) Yes,
1: we do have various tours. We have a farm tour. We do guided boardwalk um, tours and a museum tour. And that's all under our education programs that
0: you can can book. Guys are doing so much. It's just great. Wow. I have got to come and see Landmark Park.
1: We would love to have you. I think you would really enjoy it.
0: I know I would. How does the Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park interface with state and county and other organizations in the area?
1: Well, we really love partnerships. So we work with a lot of groups that do various things. Like I mentioned, our wiregrass beekeepers maintain our apiary. Um, Our master gardeners help us in the gardens. We have a woodturner group that meets to help and teach woodturning classes, quilt guilds that put on our quilt show and teach different sewing classes. We just really love partnerships. And our state and county and city representatives are always happy to talk to us and help us in any way that they can. We're extremely fortunate to be located right here where we are. So we try to help them any way that we can, and they have always been good to help us. Um, and and try to work together just to make our community better.
0: That's fantastic. Good to hear. What kinds of interesting books does your museum have for sale?
2: We have a variety of history
1: books for sale. We work with local historians in in different aspects, and we carry their books. Dale Cox is a, a prominent historian in the area. T. Larry Smith is a prominent historian in the area. We carry their books. And then we have history books that we've helped with in publications about history. So mostly the books that we carry here that were written by local authors have to do with history. But they're extremely interesting. Again, uh, you can learn so much (laughs) from some of these people. They have a wealth of knowledge.
0: And do they help you with the events? Do they help teach the public history?
1: Yes. Yes. Again, extremely fortunate. We have a lot of historians that are willing to come and do storytelling, interpreting, demonstrating. We couldn't do what we do without their knowledge,
2: without their willingness to help.
0: That's really nice. I know you've got a beautiful website. What kind of things are available to do and view on your website?
1: Well, the website is a great place to start if you would like to come visit us. You can see, of course, our general information, hours. There's a map of the property, pricing. But you can also see events that are upcoming. We have a section on our website that has videos explaining the history of the different buildings here at the park. I try to post our, if we are covered in the local media. We'll put that on our, those links on our website if you want to see news stories that have run about the park. So it's it's a lot of information, and it's where it's just a clearinghouse for anything: landmark park and Alabama Agricultural Museum. Anything related to those those entities, you can see there on our website.
0: Yeah, it's a nice website. Can I join as a member via the website?
1: Yes, absolutely. You can. Uh, a family member or a corporate member, you can do that uh, right there on the website.
0: Oh, nice. And can I donate to you from the website?
1: Yes, you certainly can. Um, we do those donations through PayPal. Okay. And you can donate or join right there on the website. And, and book a field trip program also on the website.
0: Oh, very nice. Yeah, it's a great resource. You mentioned that the museum is planned to double in size in 2023. Are you seeking donations to help make that happen?
2: We are always
1: seeking donations for various things here at the park. The actual building is going to be funded through the state. Okay. but. We're always looking for donations to help with preservation of the historic buildings, care of our live animals that are here at the park. I mentioned we have farm animals. We also have some reptiles here. A great way to support us is through that membership or the corporate membership programs. But we also, of course, accept donations if you want your support to go to a specific area of interest for you. So, yes, uh, historic preservation, like I say, even if it doesn't go directly to the build there's always costs associated with historic preservation and keeping everything you know in good shape, all the
2: artifacts and the buildings.
0: Right. I guess I would ask, do you have any current initiatives or needs of the museum that you want people in, of your area to know about and support?
1: Um, we're basically this this year we're focusing a lot on preserving these buildings. So we're planning to do a lot of work to the Waddell House, which is, again, that big house that sort of started it all (laughs) that was moved to the property in the late 70s. We're going to be doing some preservation work on it this year. And as we finish that, we'll be looking at the other buildings on our property to make sure the roofs are good, the paint jobs are good, that everything's safe. One thing I would like to do is make sure that every building is handicap accessible. As historic buildings, some of them are not, and we're slowly working through each one to get ramps on them to make sure that they're handicap accessible. So that is something that I would really love to see this year. So really like building work and historic preservation of buildings is big on our minds this year.
0: Okay, Dothan and Hudson County and Alabama, (laughs) your... Donations are needed, and you know why, and it's a great cause, so please donate, donate, donate. My next question is just to capture some of your thoughts about how best to keep history and community support flourishing for the current generation, the K-12 through folks.
1: One of the ways that I see that, that really gets through to kids is giving them these hands-on immersive experiences. Just from my unscientific observations, they seem to retain information better when they get to actually experience it instead of just listening to it or seeing it. So I think that by offering these hands on and immersive experiences, it creates these memories that last forever. I know that just from personal experience. I remember coming here as a child and I think coming here as a child helps instill appreciation for science and history and culture. And so creating these memorable experiences is a great way to keep kids interested in history. And it also creates a lot of appreciation for the work that goes into farming past and present, letting them see just how hard our ancestors worked to get us to where we are today, and also creating an appreciation for the work that goes into our food and fiber (laughs) that we get, you know, in modern times. So I think by offering these interesting, immersive experiences is a really great way to keep that support at the top of mind for
0: our kids. Yeah, I can't wait till you guys are able to invest in something like a Star Trek holodeck or a time tunnel or something like that. Oh, I can't
1: wait either. (laughs) That would be amazing. (laughs) Wouldn't
0: that be cool? (laughs) Now, do the kids dress up? in the 1890s kind of garb when they do some of the immersive activities?
1: They do, actually. Um, Not in all of them, but in the living history field trip that I mentioned earlier, the girls will put on skirts and aprons, and the boys will put on suspenders and hats and little handkerchiefs or bandanas. And that's always interesting because, you know, we as women, we don't wear dresses when we garden in general i mean some people do i'm sure but i certainly don't and so (laughs) for the girls to see you know what it's like what it would have been like for them back then is is very interesting
0: very cool well laura it's time for us to take a break for a few minutes okay all right listeners we'll be right back
3: The Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park's mission has been to preserve the natural environment and heritage of southeast Alabama's wiregrass region. Landmark Park is more than just a place to look. It is a place to participate and experience. Experience history on an 1890s living history farm, complete with an old farmhouse, smokehouse, cane mill, syrup shed, sheep, cows, chickens, and pigs. Drift back in time in a Victorian gazebo, a one-room schoolhouse, a drugstore and soda fountain, a country store, or a turn-of-the-century church. Experience nature with a walk through the woods on an elevated boardwalk, stroll nature trails, visit our interpretive center and planetarium. See wildlife exhibits and have a picnic in our picnic area. Experience the excitement of annual special events like folklife festivals, antique car shows, traveling exhibits, concerts, and workshops. Experience the heritage of the Wiregrass region and experience an adventure. Visit their website at LandmarkParkDothan.com or call 334-794-3452 for more details, admissions, and hours. Donate, volunteer, and become a member today. You'll be glad you did.
0: This is Paul Hackbard, outgoing president and now the marketing and communications director of the Iowa Falls Historical Society, and I listen to Sean Thomas Ratcliffe, and Preservation Oaks
5: on MicroStream Radio. This is Linda Rogenkamp, treasurer of the Onega
1: Historical Society Building Committee, and I love listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. This is Cheyenne Yanstadter, archives manager and outreach associate at the Museum of Danish America, and you're listening to Preservation
6: Oaks. I was created by a consummate professional. Everything was just right, notes perfect, precise keys, and the shine, oh my, I was so shiny. John bought me, he was good to me, and that man could play. We'd practice almost every day, then he'd clean me, and I'd be ready for the next day. Occasionally, he'd give me a good bath and shine me up. What a life we had, driving from place to place, and playing while people danced. Others would join in, and we'd all have a grand time making music. John traded me to Joe, for a tenor model. Joe didn't give me baths, and I mostly sat in my case. I was there for years, until I went to a school. I helped youngsters learn how to play. It was great, all that energy and marching. But, I didn't get the upkeep I really needed, and eventually, well, I was put away because I wasn't shiny anymore. My pads were old, hadn't had a good bath in decades, had a few dents, and there were a couple of key guards broken. Finally, I was given to the historical society. They made sure all my parts were like new. My shine is back. Now I look slick. I'm in a glass enclosure and not a case. Every day, people talk about how beautiful I am, the good times when John and I played music, and in the background, they play songs from when I was with John. I feel good that I can help others understand the past, which I guess I'm now a part of.
3: Rather than throwing it out, Please donate historical records and objects to your local historical society today.
5: Hello my plebes. This is Cleopatra, Queen of the Nile. While I'm waiting for Mark Anthony, I'm listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio.
2: Nine out of ten family historians agree Preservation Oaks is the best podcast on the internet.
3: And now, back to Preservation Oaks.
0: Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we're here today with Laura Weber from the Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park, located in Dothan, Alabama. We've learned so much, and it's been great. Laura, thank you for the information you provided to our audience about your museum. Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. Why is the museum important to the community? What makes your organization different or unique from others?
1: Well, I've mentioned that what we do is very immersive and hands-on, but I think what really sets us apart is that our museum and park encompass both natural history and agricultural history, and we try to be very inclusive of all people of this area, all of the ancestors of this area, and we're specific to a, a time frame, the 1890s that I don't know a lot of museums that are, are just specific to that time period in our history. So I think those are ways that we're we're different than something you may see somewhere else.
0: Well, plus, I can tell you, I don't interview all historical societies or museums or any of that, but the ones I have, you, you guys are certainly unique. You're doing so much to help the community and help Alabama. Well, thank you. Well Laura, I want to thank you for spending the time with us today. I've had a great time. Believe me, it's been good talking with you. And I'm so glad to meet you. You guys do so much for Alabama and for Dothan. It's really gratifying to hear everything that you do to help the community and your members.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's been it's been great to talk with you as well and Again, I'm very honored that I get to hold the position of director for the Landmark Park and the Alabama Agricultural Museum, and um, we hope to, to see some of your listeners here at the park at some time.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. And with that, we'll end our time with our guest, Laura Weber, executive director of the Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park. Located in Dothan, Alabama. Listeners, please stay tuned for my comments and wrap up, which is coming up next. Now, I know this might sound trite, but seriously, to me, the city of Dothan and the Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park are really what Sweet Home Alabama is all about, folks. The Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park is a theme park, history park, community park, nature park, and science park, all rolled into one experience, which is beautifully kept and well-managed by Ms. Laura Weber and her team of staff and volunteers. Man, I wish we had a place like this when I was growing up. Heck, you can have picnics, have fun learning many different things, attend a variety of fun and interesting events, experience fellowship, community, gardening, learn about animals and about history, pick up some time-honored survival skills, commune and learn about nature and the universe, Have a soda or a shake at the drugstore soda fountain and prepare for surviving the zombie apocalypse, all in the serene and beautiful countryside of Alabama. Where else can you lend your support to something interesting and fun to do for the whole family and for your kids over the summer school breaks? Renovations were just completed on the museum, and in 2023, the plan is to expand the museum to double its current size. How lucky you all are! It's hard for me to express how honored I was to have met Executive Director Laura Weber and to learn more about Alabama, the City of Dothan, Landmark Park, and the Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park. There's something for everyone in the community, and this is a place that I hope everyone in Alabama continues to support and appreciate. It's well worth it. Please become a member today. There are some really great perks you and your family will receive when you're a member. Get the family membership for a great value. When you're a member, you can also help influence the future of the museum and the park. Perhaps if they don't have one already, they could consider putting in a fishing pond, or perhaps a basketball, baseball, putting green, soccer field, or skateboard park. It takes a diversity of members, visitors, and donations to maintain the high-quality experience at Landmark Park. The current priorities are to expand membership, to focus on maintenance of the historic buildings at Landmark Park. And because the museum and Landmark Park were impacted by the COVID pandemic, they have a goal for 2023 to build up the organization's financial strength. That's where you all come in. Please help support the Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park today. Ms. Laura was kind enough to review the funding and fundraising particulars of the museum so you know where the funds are going, what the priorities are, and that every second of your time and your donations go toward this wonderful location, which is unique and well worth your support. I hope you folks in Dothan, Houston County, Mobile, Birmingham, Montgomery, and other places across Alabama realize what you all have there in Dothan and Landmark Park. This is a place that makes life fun and exciting, both for adults and kids of all ages. Now let me give the contact information for the museum once again. The Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park. Their website is LandmarkParkDothan.com You can find them on Facebook at Landmark Park Dothan. You can email them at Laura, L-A-U-R-A-V, as in Victor, at landmarkparkdothan.com. You can call them at 334-794-3452. You want to visit them at 430 Landmark Drive, Dothan, Alabama 36303, and their mailing address is P.O. Box 6362, Dothan, Alabama 36302. Now, if questions occur to you, and you'd like more information, please connect with the museum via the contact information provided. If you're a listener in the area the museum serves and you're not already a member, please consider joining and supporting them. I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park is for the community and what kinds of excellent amenities they have to offer. The Alabama Agricultural Museum at Landmark Park is truly one of our preservation oaks. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Chris Hagen, Track Tribe, Steve Adams, Scott Holmes, and Cymbalbird. MicroStream Radio is a registered trademark. You can visit us at www.microstreamradio.com. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by MicroStream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of MicroStream Radio. Thanks to everyone for listening. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. We'll see you all next time on Preservation Oaks.